All right. Uh, we just got done with the Christmas song, so let's talk about Romans. I feel like every other church is starting Christmas series, but not us. You get Romans. Uh, uh, nice, to, uh, Good to see everybody. Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Paul Stiver. I'm one of the elders here at Hope Lower Town. I'm also on staff with Hope, kind of in general, our conglomerate organization, if you will. Um, so we're in, We this is actually week 36 of Romans, which feels wild to think about because we still have two more sessions left of this letter uh, that the Apostle Paul wrote to the churches in Rome. Uh, I also wanted to just highlight uh, the women's retreat, um, just uh, thinking about what it is and what it was and, and how it is uh, unique and special to get to gather with people that are uh, like you, that are, are interested in following Jesus. Um, it's a little different. It's a gift. Um, and so thank you to, I think it was Angela Silver and Sarah Mishki that really kind of led that. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if you went uh, and you enjoyed it, uh, don't just let other people plan that kind of stuff. Think about what would be a great way to gather people, invite them in, connect with them uh, and do that. That's really is. It's a blessing. It's unlike uh, the world there in that sense. Uh, we are now today wrapping up Chapter eight, we've kind of been in chapters four through eight titled, How Do We Live Then? And we actually have actually seen that it's not a lot about how we live. It's just more truths, as we're going to see. I actually have a handout that the guys are going to pass out to people. Uh, I'm going to preach from in a second. Recapping Romans one through eight and the things that the Apostle Paul has told us are were true of us and are true of us for those that are in Christ. But as we get into that, I want to give a quick update next week and then kind of going onward, we will be in our Christmas series, Born Unto Us. That's just going to look at different nativities, as you, as it were, uh, different birth stories in the Bible. So kind of Old and New Testament uh, stories. And I think we'll I think we'll look at the Jesus birth story, as my guess. Um, haven't looked ahead too far, but so that'll be coming up. And then right after that, we'll get into January. We'll do two weeks on vision. And so uh, we're going to kind of look at what's where are we headed in 2024, What's that going to look like as a church, as a, as a body of believers kind of moving forward together? And then we'll come back after that and be in Romans chapter 9. That'll be session three of our big four-session experience in this letter of Romans. It's, again, 16 chapters. Uh, so that's a little bit of that. Um, I wanted to get us uh, talking about, uh, has anyone been to Sleeping Bear Dunes? Now, you've been there? Aaron's been there at National Lakeshore and, and Law's been there? All right, I'm calling names out. You get to hear your voice in the podcast later or your name. Uh, the, uh, so I just learned about this uh, from uh, a little app called, I think it's like TikTok. I've heard of it. It's a new, a new app. But anyway, um, I think Brian likes it. Uh, just to know I also like it. Uh, but I learned about Sleeping Bear Dunes it's, it feels like it's not a, a part of America. Like, look at this water in this photo. It looks like an ocean. That's actually Lake Michigan. Um, but if you look, that's, that's sand going down to the water. And this is, uh, this is how I learned about it. This videos were saying, like, this, this is one of the most dangerous places to climb in America, actually. Because if you look, here's maybe another angle. It's kind of hard to see, but that is the descent from the sand down to the water, and then you have to climb back up. And so what we see, if you can read these signs, uh, is enjoy the view here, don't go down. Or another one is warning, getting stuck at the bottom uh, is, and I think we see on one of these, it's a $3,000 rescue. So that happens a lot is that people, in fact, there was a, at least a couple of years, I don't know if it's still the case, more rescues happened here than at Yellowstone 
but you're like, Yellowstone is vast and mighty, and this is just a beach. Like, because people are descending this mega climb thinking they've got it, or, and then they get stuck and they have to call a helicopter for the rescue. Uh, in fact, they interviewed one of the rangers and it says, he said, why are so many rescues required at this popular northern Michigan destination? He replied, there are many reasons. His name's Joe Lakowski, not to be confused with Mike Wazowski for the Monsters, Inc. fans out there. And he's a park ranger and coordinator of search and rescue operations at Sleeping Bear Dunes. He said, two of the most common locations, there's kind of two spots for rescues along the National Lakeshore are below the dune overlook, what we were talking about, along the Pierce Stocking Scenic Drive and along the dune climb trail leading to, the, to Lake Michigan. The level of challenge involved in making it to the water in both locations is deceiving. A sign at the top of the dune overlook warns visitors that a climb down the steep slope may require two hours of effort to make it back to the top. Along the dune trail, a sign warns that the water is 1.3 hilly miles away. The round trip for that is 3.5 miles. He continues. He says, the distance can be deceiving. The water appears to be just over the next dune, but then one dune turns into two, two into three, and three into four until climbers have been hiking for hours. There's virtually no shade along the trail on a hot sunny day. Hikers fail to heed warning signs. People don't necessarily envision these risks, Lakowski said, noting how many vast mountainous parks out west appear more dangerous. People don't view Sleeping Bear Dunes as a wilderness park because you drove there. I just found this really interesting as I learned about this place and then this, what he highlights here in this quote, that people are deceived in the sense. The distance deceives them. Dunes are deceptive. The water seems like it's right there. That uh, They don't envision the risks because they drove there. I'm sure this would be me. And I'd be like, right, what have I got myself into? I hopefully wouldn't have to call the helicopter for rescue, but don't have a spare 3K lying around. But so that's uh, what we see though, is that there's kind of like, even in this, we know the grandness of it. We feel like we understand it, but there's some sort of a self-trust that kicks in and says, you look at that huge descent to the water. We look at these dunes and we say, no, I can, I can do that. I can handle that. I drove here. That's what we're going to be looking at today uh, is that it's very easy in life for self-trust to kick in. And so as the Apostle Paul kind of concludes Romans 8 here, he's giving us foundational things instead of saying rock to stand on, things that can keep us clinging to faith, helping us trust God no matter what our circumstances, our life experiences, our feelings are telling us. And so today's message is God is for us. We're looking at Romans 8, 31 through 39. Uh, and we'll get into that in a second. But first I wanted to talk about last week, Ben uh, spoke. I have a little action shot there. It's super hard to see, but he was he was standing here and he was saying words. Uh, he's, um, and uh, he spoke about groaning in the already not yet. And for those that were here, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go find the, the sermon episode on the podcast and listen to that. But if you were here, uh, you heard Ben speak about the loss of his dad and the process of groaning as we, as we saw in the passage that we have the spirit now, we've been made new, but we're in this already not yet. Things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And Ben highlighted, we should actually look at things like death and cancer and sickness and racism and evil and sexual abuse and all of these other evil things that still exist in the world and the sin in our hearts. And we should groan. We should hate that. We actually see God groans. The creation itself groans. So that's where Ben 
took us last week. Um, also, if you are a member, a covenant member here uh, today, uh, very exciting time tonight. We're going to be voting on Ben uh, as an elder candidate, now coming forward to become on our team as an elder. Uh, and I just wanted to say a couple things real quick on that. Uh, first, if you're not a member and you are like, what does this mean? Members have the opportunity to vote. You get, to, You are the deciders. And so for those that are members, we'd love to have you join the Zoom call tonight and hear more from Ben and uh, and vote on him. Uh, if you're not a member, email Brian at hopecc.com and, and get in touch with, or you can talk to me. We can talk about why be a member of a church? Why commit? Why say, no, I'm on board with this and I want to invest in this. I want to actually make that commitment to say I'm doing that. So if you're interested in that, I think a couple of people recently actually have been reaching out, talk to Brian. I just wanted to highlight in this process, it's been probably what, close to a year? It's been a while. Um, just Ben's heart has really shown itself and that he is he is shepherd-hearted. He's thinking about others. And, and often that's what an elder is, is the first one willing to serve, willing to step in, willing to care when things are messy, willing to comfort, willing to offer truth and guidance and grace. Uh, and Ben has really just shown that throughout this process as things have come up in our church family. Um, and he's also shown that just in our relationship with each other on the team, just his heart, his care, his shepherding, his wisdom. And so we're very thankful for that. Really excited about the opportunity to vote on Ben tonight. But without that, let's, or beyond that, let's get into today's message. We're going to look at three things, truths in Romans, uh, look at the passage, kind of what then shall we say to these things? And then finally, we are going to look at God is for us. And I wanted to start with just this picture of these people hanging out. Uh, they're not hanging out, right? If you look, everyone's on their phone. Maybe this was what your Thanksgiving was like. And we're like, oh, I'll just, did you see this new story? Let's not argue about it. Don't bring it up. Let's just not fight. Let's just eat mac and cheese. Uh, that's a little dry and we'll just call it. Um, so like, so, but this feels like hanging out sometimes to us. And I put this up here because one of the challenges as a communicator is you get like 40 minutes of people's time in a week. You get a chance to say, hey, here's, Here's what's true. Here's what to think. Here's what to believe. Here's what God says. Uh, you get about 40 minutes. Um, I, I know for me, it's been more than 40 minutes taking in other content every day, much less uh, throughout a whole week. So it's tough. But I, actually, if I were to say, that almost creates a us-them. But communicators are those that would preach the word also go through this. All week, we're being bombarded with content. In fact, I, there's studies out that say our minds are not capable of handling the amount of imagery and stories and content and news that's flying at us every day. And so in that, we're being told by people, we're being influenced, if you will, by people. They're saying, here's how to live. Here's what's life-giving. Here's what to think. Here's what to believe. And we interpret that. We have to kind of sort through that, discern that. And it can be tough. There was a TED Talk a while ago uh, called, titled On Being Wrong by a woman named Katherine Schultz. And she asked a group of teenagers, how do you feel when you're wrong? And they said things like, disappointed, thumbs down. I don't like the experience. I don't like to feel when I'm wrong. And she goes, you know, that's not actually what you feel when you're wrong. That's what you feel when you realize you're wrong. She goes, what you feel when you're wrong is you feel right. It's only when you realize you're wrong that you actually feel that because we feel right. And so that's kind of what we're going to look at today is how do we know, on the Apostles and Show, how do we know what to believe, what to cling to? And we're actually going to use uh, Rocky. Any boxing fans out there? A little, 
He's in a, a boxing pose. Have anybody seen all the Rocky movies? We got any Rocky? We got a couple. All right. Uh, so it, this is what we're going to talk about, though. Persevering in faith, believing the truth as God tells it in the boxing ring of life. And that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in Romans. He's giving us what to believe. And so I want to look at truths in Romans as we kick off. And so we're looking at just right away, verse 31. The Apostle Paul says in verse 31 of chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so commentary is kind of debated. Is, this, is he just talking about like chapter 8, these things? Or is he talking about chapters 1 through 8? And so if you got your trusty hand out with you, now's a good time to pull that up because I'm going to contend he's talking about chapters 1 through 8. And he's saying, he's answering, what are the, these things and how can I know God is for me? So we're going to start on this side that says, you were, you are. And we're just going to walk through it. I, um, and actually, I would say, if, you're, uh, if you want, one way to take this in would be just to sit under it, maybe close your eyes and just listen. Because I'm going to just read this list for a while. Or just follow along, find my one typo, uh, and win 5,000 points. Um, so we're just going to talk through this and bask in it and, and think about what does the Apostle Paul say is true of us? We're looking at these Romans realities. What is true of you? You were, you are. So here, let's get right into it. You were, this is chapters 1 through 8, you were ungodly, unrighteous, under wrath, without excuse, futile in your thinking. Foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, you became a fool. You happily exchanged the, the glory of God for creation. You gladly exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You were actually given up to impurity, a debased mind. You were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. You were under judgment, storing up wrath, under sin, accountable to God with no defense to declare. Unable to be justified in God's sight by the works of the law, so the things you did couldn't get you out of the, the pit you were in. You sinned and fell short of the glory of God. Your works were counted as a wage. You were weak and ungodly. You were, we were enemies of God. We were in a world where death spread because of sin. We're under the tyrannical reign of death. You realize death shouldn't exist. Slaves of sin, free in regard to righteousness, ashamed of the things we were doing. Doing things that lead to death, living in the flesh, living with sinful passions aroused by the law, bearing fruit for death, held captive by the law, serving the written code. Sin was alive in us. We were deceived by it. Sin producing death in us. We're of the flesh, sold under sin, doing things we hate. Sin dwelling in our flesh, no ability to do what is right. Flesh waging war against us, needing deliverance from this body of death, still serving the law of sin. That is who you were. And in the first chapter, or first eight chapters of Romans, here's what the Apostle Paul says, our objective realities truth statements, identity markers about who you are. Loved by God and called to be saints. The gospel has actually become the power of God to you for salvation. You've been circumcised in the heart by the Spirit. Your boasting has been excluded by the law of faith. You've been justified by grace as a gift, redeemed in Christ Jesus. Your faith counted to you as righteousness. Despite you being ungodly, God has justified you. You are blessed. Your lawless deeds are forgiven. Your sins are covered. You are, God no longer counts your sins against you. You are actually considered a child of Abraham through faith. You are a believer in him and God who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. You are justified by faith. You're at peace with God. You enjoy access by faith into the grace in which we stand. You are rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. In fact, you rejoice in your sufferings. 
You're a recipient of God's love, a recipient of the Holy Spirit as a gift. You are one whom Christ died for while you were still a sinner. You're justified by the blood of Christ, saved from the wrath of God, reconciled to God by the death of his son, saved by Christ's life, rejoicing in God, a recipient of reconciliation with God, receiving an abundance of grace, receiving the free gift of righteousness, justified by Jesus' act of righteousness, by his obedience, you are dead to sin, no longer to live in it, baptized into Christ's death, raised with Christ by the glory of the Father. You are walking in newness of life. You've been united with Christ in a death like his, and you are united with him in a resurrection like his, your old self was crucified with him. Your body of sin has been brought to nothing. You're no longer enslaved to sin. You've died with Christ and been set free from sin. You will live with Christ. You are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's actually a back page that has way more. Let's keep it going. You've been brought from death to life. You're not under the dominion of sin. You're not under law, but under grace. You're now obedient from the heart to the gospel. You've been set free from sin. You've become a slave of righteousness. You've been again set free from sin. You become a slave of God. That's not a typo. He did that. He put that in there, that repetitively. You are getting the fruit of sanctification leading to eternal life instead of bearing fruit for death. You're dead to the law. You belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. You now bear fruit for God. You've been released from the law because you died. You're serving in the new way of the Spirit, delighting in the law of God and your inner being. Jesus Christ is your Lord. Your mind serves the law of God. You are under no condemnation. You've been set free in Christ by the Spirit from the law of sin and death. The righteous requirement of the law is actually fulfilled in you. You're walking according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. You are not of the flesh but of the Spirit. You have God's Spirit. Christ is in you. Your body is dead, but the Spirit is life in you. Your mortal body will be raised by the Spirit who dwells in you. You will you find life now in the Spirit and put into death the deeds of the body. You are sons of God, heirs. You've received adoption, the spirit of adoption as sons. You are in, in, a, in an intimate relationship with God. We call him Abba, and we cry out to him. You are children of God, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, suffering with Christ, to be glorified with Christ, to experience a glory that will outweigh every pain, all the sufferings, you are one who has the first fruits of the Spirit. We are together awaiting the redemption of our bodies. We are saved in hope of redeemed bodies and a redeemed creation. The Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. We are now aware that God works all things together for our good. We were chosen, predestined by God to be conformed to the image of his beautiful Son, called by God, justified by God, and glorified by God. Amen. This is what the Apostle Paul wants us to get in our minds. Because this is how they would have taken in that letter. They would have sat and listened to the whole letter. And so everybody would have heard all of these things true of them in one sitting. So you guys needed to hear that as well. Your old self was crucified with Christ. Jesus took the death. You get the life. And if you want to get really into it, this left column of who you were is what you contributed to your salvation. If you're in Christ, this is what you brought to the table. He has done it. God was not reluctant or hesitant to do this. It brought him joy. It brings him joy. We enter into a whole new story, a, complete, a completely new life. What has God held back from you? Nothing. What then shall we say to these things? Praise God. We say, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. 
All right, we'll take a quick offering and then we'll get back into the sermon. No, just kidding. Uh, so, all right, so let's actually look at now the passage. Uh, and take that home, meditate on that, chew on that this whole week. Uh, we need to get this into our minds. We need to think of ourselves in this new story. All right, let's read the passage here. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elected is God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I was reciting that the other day and our oldest son, Chase, goes, amen. I mean, seriously, though, amen. Oh, some of the most beautiful things ever written as we close here, Romans chapter eight. Let's look at a few verses here. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what we learn here is that God will give us everything we need on the path on this journey of life, on the path of perseverance and faith. He's going to meet our spiritual needs and our material needs, which means we can trust him. You know, the initial lie in the garden, the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter three, the initial lie is God is not good. God's holding back. God does not have your best in mind. You should be God. This verse shows us, no, 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 we can trust him we can see that he's already given his son for us. If he's given his son for me, I know I can trust him with everything else. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Just note the logic here. Who we ultimately know would receive any charge brought against us. Our sin is ultimately against God, so any accusation against us ultimately would be brought before God in kind of a courtroom, as it were. And look what Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect, against his chosen people? It is God who justifies. In other words, the charge is brought to God by Satan, by others, even the ones we bring upon ourselves, the condemnation we feel. God greets at the door of the courtroom and says, I don't know, I justified this person. You can't even bring that charge in. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean go be a jerk. But it means you're justified, you're okay. We answer our condemnation that we feel with Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You see what it's saying here? The one who had the right to condemn, who lived the perfect life, who was the only person who could have looked down his nose at us, where we always have to look down our nose at people who are just sinners like us. The one who could condemn, what does he do instead? He dies. 
He was in the right to condemn and he dies. So who is to condemn? Not only that though, he was raised and not just raised at the right hand of God in the seat of authority, interceding for us, claiming us in his rightful place. So let's get into this. God is for us. We've got to see that God is for us. Let's close with again with the end of Romans 8 here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We've seen already the words condemn, bring charges. We see separate us from love here. Friends, we live in a world right now that says, and maybe we feel this, a world that says cancel, condemn what people say and do, call it out, distance yourself from them, separate them from love. What they've done, what they've said, who they voted for, what they believe on this issue or that issue means you should separate them from your love. Don't spend time with them. Maybe boundaries, just boundary them into maybe you see them a little bit. Maybe we felt some of this at Thanksgiving. What we see here, though, is something different. God's saying no matter what our experience is in following Christ, the trials, the tribulations, the pains, the sins, the challenges, nothing separates us from the love of Christ. Our experiences, even when it just doesn't make sense, we are in the love of Christ. In fact, the quotation is from Psalm 44 that says, uh, sorry, in verse 23 through 26 of Psalm 44, the Apostle Paul using this, kind of calling back to this. It says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. The psalm here in the Old Testament is a plea, a plea from the people of God for relief, urgent relief in times of distress. Rise up, come to our help. And we see in Christ, God has answered this prayer. He's come to our help. He's remembered our affliction and our oppression. Instead of rejecting us, he accepts us in Christ. Instead of hiding his face, he looks to us as his children. Continuing on, Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things, in all these sufferings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So again, Paul has given us truths to cling to in our lives. And he calls us more than conquerors more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is poignant because it comes right after the list he just showed us. So the truth is, we are more than conquerors. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, but our experience is trial, 
tribulation, suffering, dying to sin, it feels painful. It feels disorienting. But this truth reorients. So thought about it, and that's where Rocky comes in. It's kind of like living in a boxing ring and getting punched. In the, this was the best one I could find. Rocky's gets smoked here by Ivan Drago. Um, this is my best, uh, I think it was a Russian accent. Uh, and so, but the thing is, right, we have to think about this. This is really urgent. Whether you're in here as a believer, you say, I, my faith is in Christ, or you're in here and you're, you know what? I don't, I don't think I buy this stuff, but I want to hear more. This is urgent for us. What do the punches of life, how do the punches of life cause us to respond? And if you're a believer, what do the punches of life cause you to believe about God? And just to have a few here, they're hard to see from this list. I realize now that they're very tiny on the screen. So if you have really great vision, thanks. Good for you. <laughs> but these, many of these are not unique to Christians, but let's look at some of these here. We already saw our list. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. There are many Christians around the world that experience these things. Christians in Iran now being arrested almost immediately upon their profession of faith, right? We, this is real. We don't experience this one as much though. Far more we experience loss, illness, stress, anxiety, loneliness, sin struggles, emotional turmoil, conflict, Losing friends, suffering, family pain, aging, unrealized dreams, and the list could go on and on. Marital conflict, relational strife, all kinds of pain. What do we do? How do we respond? What do we believe when life punches us? I want us to really evaluate what we believe and how it causes us to respond. I want to grab a specific example I want to zoom in on anxiety in particular. What does it look like to have faith in the ring of life if you wrestle with anxiety? And now, just a quick definition, the way I'm thinking about anxiety for this uh, is worrying to control the future. I want to control the future by, by worrying about it, by stressing about it, by having anxiety about it. So I'm not getting into necessarily the physiological component of anxiety. I'm kind of more staying in the mental side of things, the things we think and believe and how that impacts us. So that being said, what does it look like to have anxiety or to wrestle with anxiety in the ring with God? Here's some things that are true. We can always remember. God is for us. God is in this with us. If God gave his son for me, I can trust him with all of my needs. I'm not defined by my anxiety, but what God says is true of me. God is in control. The outcomes are known. I'm okay. I'm loved. I'm secure. I matter to God. It will work out. That's what's true in the ring. And because of that, we feel secure in the storm or as the punches come. Because it's still a storm. I chose anxiety because it's pretty universal and it's brutal. We all deal with this in some way. But with God, we actually can remind ourselves these truths in the midst of even the, the height of our experiences or our feelings. So that's what life looks like in the ring with God. What about without God? Facing anxiety without God. It all depends on me. I have to fix it. I have to figure it out. I have to make it happen. 
just like a descriptor of my 20s, this right column, just in general, how I felt my entire, almost my entire 20s without Christ. Will I be enough? Will my needs be met? I find myself grasping for solutions and control, desperate for relief, maybe manipulating people to calm my anxiety. I'm on my own. The outcomes are unknown. Am I okay? Am I loved? Will it work out? And I'm left feeling insecure, hopeless, overwhelmed. Look where our self-trust gets us. We're lost in the sand dunes of anxiety, desperate for rescue. And here's the reality. I got another picture of Rocky. This is just too great. He's just smoked in the face a bunch. But this is what it's like to live in the world. My grandma used to say, old age ain't for wimps. And I, I'm going to change it and say, also young age ain't for wimps. I'm not that young, but you know what I mean. Life will beat you up, right? Those of us in here that, I mean, we're feeling it all the time. It's what Ben talked about last week, the groaning. Where do you look? What do you believe about God? Are you building your house on the rock of his truth or on the sand of yours? This is actually why we do church. This is why we do small groups uh, here at Hope because we need people in our corner in the fight of faith. We need to be able to take the punches and go back and have somebody kind of uh, hypothetically rubbing our shoulders and saying, remember what's true about God. You're gonna be okay. He loves you. He's for you. You say, I don't know, I've just taken so many punches. I know, and I'm here with you in that, but he is for you. This is why we do small groups. And ultimately, we see we are more than conquerors. This is us one day holding up the championship belt. It's not our belt, though. If you understand the gospel, how did we get the victory? How can we hold up the championship belt as we conquer in the life of faith? We didn't conquer. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus conquered. It's his championship belt, and he gives it to us. So when we do our post-ring interview, and we sound a little like Rocky, I just want to thank God. I don't know how I got here. God did it. That's why you enjoy that one. You get to take that home with you. Um, right? But we will we will say, when we see God face to face, I didn't do this. You did this. I want to thank God. He rescued me. He did this. Jesus did this. He gave me this belt of righteousness. I am more than a conqueror because of Christ. You realize how much that frees us from living in fear? But we have to ask, how did Christ conquer? How did Christ conquer? And we actually see it in our passage. Again, to highlight, we have this language, bring any charge, condemn. Our culture says right now, one of the things we tend to believe is that the best way to love someone is to agree with them. The best way to love someone is to affirm who they are. And if you don't, or, or they don't affirm you and who you are, you're right then is to bring charges against them, to condemn them, to separate them from your love. We have little space for disagreement. 
we're feeling that. We're all feeling that. I think every one of us, whether we admit it or not, is a little worried that someone's going to come with some charge on us, some form of condemnation from our past. I say, I know who you really are. But here's where the gospel comes in. The gospel is this. Christ took our charges. Christ stood in our place, took our condemnation. Christ died in our shame, exposed on the cross so that we could be secure in God's love. We could know in our hearts, God is for us. God is for us. Again, we see Christ in Romans 8, 31 through 39 here. This, this, this tribulation, this distress, this persecution, this famine, this nakedness, this danger, this sword, being regarded as a sheep to be slaughtered. Paul uses it to describe us and what it feels like to follow Christ in this world. But this is Christ's lived experience. This is what Christ's life was. Tribulation, persecution, nakedness, sword. In this case, the cross. He is the ultimate slaughtered sheep. Do you realize Jesus was separated on the cross from the Father's love so that you can now know you never have to be? Treated as sin, taking our condemnation, taking our charge so that we now are righteous. We have the championship belt. And for those of us that wrestle with anxiety, we look at him and we, we, saw, we see all throughout the Gospels. He actually knows he's going to die. And instead of worrying to control his future, he continually entrusts himself to the Father. Climactically, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he feels perhaps the most anxiety ever, anyone's ever felt, when blood is pouring from his face from the stress of knowing the cross is coming. And he calls out to his father and says, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me. If there's another way. And what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He knows there is no other way. He has to be the sheep that is slaughtered. He sets his face to entrusting himself to God in the midst of his most anxiety. takes our charges, takes our condemnation. So when we look at the cross, we see, and we never have to doubt, God is for us. The measure of love is not how much someone is willing to affirm in you. The measure of love is how much someone is willing to give for you, how secure you can be in their love. And on the cross, we look and we see God was willing to give his son. He's willing to give everything he ever loved to have us. So we never have to question. We never have to doubt. We know. We can know. This is what Paul wants us to see. We can know God is good. God loves you. God has your best in mind. God knows what he's doing. So in the fight to believe the truth of the gospel, when we get punched by life, we come back to this over and over again. I don't know how to make sense left from right. The suffering, the pain I'm going through, it feels like I'm all alone, but I know this. God is for me. 
what I'm facing can't be because God's not good. It can't be because he doesn't love me. It can't be because he doesn't have my best in mind. It can't be that he doesn't know what he's doing. This is a game changer. And this is what the Apostle Paul wants us to see and live in this story. God is for us. I remember uh, the other day, this was a couple months ago, I was watching, I, I was giving our youngest son, Brooks, a bottle. And I was like, ah, let's watch something while we're hanging out. It was a bottle, it takes a while. So I was feeding him. I throw on ESPN uh, and I watch ESPN and there was Special Olympics were on. So I threw it on and uh, they were doing shot put. It was a female athletes were doing shot put. They're throwing shot put and they get done. They kept kind of showing this one gal would get up to throw and she'd throw a shot put and she'd go back, sit down. That's kind of how it worked. And then, but they kept showing, cutting over to the sideline behind this fence was her dad. And he was dressed like a coach as well, but it was her dad. And they get done uh, throwing the shot put and they are walking off the track, kind of going, if you ever did cross country or track or anything, right? You kind of get done with field events. You kind of walk off the track, you go around the fence, you talk to people. And they kept cutting over to this dad. She's walking off the track and they keep cutting over to this dad. And she's kind of walking. She's a little tuned out to what's going on. She's just walking off the track, but he's trying to get her attention. She got third place. She threw the shot, but third farthest. And he's over there and he's like, third, third, third. He's ecstatic. He's so proud of his daughter. Third, you got third. It's not even first, right? In our American mind, we're like, it's not even first. Third, and she looks over and sees her dad. She was kind of tuned out, like I said, wasn't paying attention. She sees her dad delighting in her. And the way she walked off that track, chest held high, she was so proud. When we look at the cross, that's God saying, I am for you. I am for you. You're my son. I am so proud of you. I've got your back. I'm in your corner. You know, it's great to have small group friends in our corner, but God, the God of the universe is in our corner. He's got our back. He's good. He loves us. He knows what he's doing. So as we close, if you're not a follower of Christ, believe in him today. Don't waste any more time. Believe in him today. And if you are in Christ, just... This week, you are secure in God's love. Nothing changes that. So as we close, just let's fight together to believe this truth, to dwell on these realities, to praise God when we say, what should I say to these things? We just praise him. We're going to move now to a time of communion. Uh, we've got kind of uh, bread and juice on these sides, and then the ones in the, in the cup uh, are gluten-free if that's a need, kind of on both sides. Um, communion is our chance to remember God is for us. When we hold the bread, we take of it, we eat of it, we know he died for our sins. When we drink the blood, we know we are secure in his covenant and his love. Here at Hope, we don't ask you to be a member of this church or any church. The only thing we would ask is that you're a follower of Jesus, that you've said yes to him, and we'd love to have you take this meal and remember that God is for us and that he's done everything we need in Christ. I'm going to pray, and then the band will come up. We'll sing a couple more songs, and we'll uh, conclude with communion and song. 
Heavenly Father, we praise you that for all time you've been for us. And the high point of the clarity on that reality is the cross of Christ where your son hangs in our place. Where he takes our charges, our condemnation, our enmity, our hostility to you and turns it into peace and reconciliation, access, secure love. God, nothing in this world changes the way we live like knowing we are loved. And so I pray for us this week, Lord. Would your cross loom large? Would we believe that you're for us? Would we know how secure we are in the love of Christ? And would that compel us to then continue to cling to the truth, fight the good fight of faith as we believe in you and take the punches of life that so ready, are so ready to come at us every week? God, we praise you for your, your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.